0: Welcome to Osteobytes. My name is Christina Iptoma and I am mom to Osteo Angel Dillon and director of scientific programs at MIB agents. And today on Osteobytes, we are talking with Dr. Bai Wong about the SCF-SKIP2 protein complex as a therapy for osteosarcoma by blocking the mutational effects of RB and P53. Thank you so much, Dr. Wong for joining us on Osteobytes today. We're thrilled to have you. And also thank you to our panelists, Walker for joining us today. Walker is an osteo warrior, and he's also vice president of our junior advisory board this year. So a little bit more about our guest today. Dr. Bang Wong is a board certified orthopedic surgeon specializing in musculoskeletal tumor surgery. He's an expert in benign and malignant tumors, metastatic bone disease, pathologic fractures, complex bone and joint reconstruction with large segment prosthesis and allograft and tumors of the pelvis and sacrum and investigational therapy for bone and soft tissue sarcoma. He's the co-director of the orthopedic oncology division at Montefiore and professor of orthopedic surgery at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Welcome Dr. Wong and welcome everyone joining us today. Um, please feel free to add any questions you have for Dr. Wong in the Q and A, and we will be sure to ask those. Um, and before, uh, we move on some announcements and reminders. Our FACTOR conference is June 22nd to 24th in Atlanta. Registration is now open and our agenda will be up on the website shortly with our full list of speakers. Um, We will have six scientific uh, panels this year and they will be on biomarkers for risk stratification, preclinical models, comparative oncology, local control, immunotherapies, and molecularly targeted therapies. And we're super excited this year we're going to have three smaller breakout discussion groups. Um, One is on researcher's best friend, can dogs expedite bench to bedside for pediatric patients? Um, We'll also have a a group on leveraging computational biology to accelerate discovery. And then uh, we'll have a third group on turning pain into power, um, patients with osteosarcoma who enable research. And that discussion group will focus on engaging patients to power research with their data and samples and um, would love uh, patients and caregivers in that group as well. So Vector is really a fantastic opportunity to network and collaborate. Osteo warriors and caregivers uh, can meet and just find a community that gets it. And scientists and clinicians um, can find opportunities to collaborate on research and also clinical best practices. And then we also have this great uh, interaction between the patient caregiver community and the scientific community, and they just really kind of inspire each other. So we always say that you'll come to Bacter to collaborate and you'll leave inspired. Um, And then also, I just wanted to note that this weekend on Sunday, we have a healing farts workshop for us two angel siblings. It's going to be on April 30th, which is a Sunday at seven Eastern. It's led by grief counselor, Lori Kraus, who's amazing. And these workshops are free of charge to all bereaved siblings of osteo angels who are at least 13 years old. Um, and I will put some more info in the chat about um, how to get more info or how to sign up for that session. All right, Walker, could you please introduce yourself?
1: Uh, yeah, my name is Walker Smallwood. And as Christina already said, I'm the MIB Junior Advisory Board Vice President this year and an osteo warrior. And today I'm really excited to hear what Dr. Wong has to tell us. So Dr. Wong, you can take it from there. All right. Thank you, Walker. Thank you, Christina. Um, really a big thanks
2: for all of you for inviting me today. It's, uh, it's really an honor to be here. Uh, I've been working on osteosarcoma probably uh, for most of my career, uh, let's say. It's uh, spanned over about 20 years plus. Um, but we've been working on this project um, for the last four or five years or so. It's uh, very exciting. And I want to share with you uh, some of the data uh, today. Um, so before we start, um, I just want to make sure to, to have my disclosures uh, here. Uh, we are obviously very thankful for many of the organizations that uh, support us over the years, and obviously for the research that I'm going to talk about uh, today. Um, So as we all know, osteosarcoma is the most common bone cancer in children and adolescents. Um, Although the incidence is not very high as some of the adult cancers, uh, we know that the morbidity and mortality from this disease are really tremendous, uh, especially in the pediatric population. So for many years, there's really no new therapy that changes the clinical outcome uh, of these patients. Um, So, you know, osteosarcoma, like many other cancers, uh, has a very complex uh, tumor microenvironment with many different types of cells. So to understand malignant bone formation, we really need to understand uh, normal bone development. So in normal bone development, what we see are the uh, mesitomal stem cells uh, which differentiate into pre-osteoblasts, um, osteoblasts, and then, and then osteocytes. Um, and then there are transcription factors such as, um, austerics, or the OSX, rungs, and some of the components of these pathway called the wind signaling pathways are also very important in this process. So an osteocycle. What we see also is that major tumor suppressor genes such as RB and P53 are often inactivated. This then leads to um, genomic instability, um, even hypermutations, mutations, and uh, some examples of a breakage of chromosomes that are very, very extreme. Uh, some also thought that Um, this represents a defect in the osteoblast differentiation program, um, which then leads to uh, less apoptosis and more uh, proliferation. So two of the, just like I mentioned, two of the major tumor suppressor pathways are RB and P53, and they are often inactivated. So in the older literature, um, they seem to suggest that p53 inactivation um, rate is about
1: 30 to
2: 50%. With nowadays, with whole genome sequencing and, and, and modern genomic sequencing, we now know that the rate of inactivation of p53 is probably closer to 90 to 95%. And then, if you talk about co inactivation of both RB and p53, is probably somewhere between 30 to 60 percent although these are smaller studies with limited samples so we know that a major function of rb is to regulate the cell cycle okay so um so early in the cell cycle what we see is that rb is not phosphorylated and it binds very tightly to a a molecule called E2F, which is a transcription factor. And once it's phosphorylated, uh, RB then will um, uh, then release the E2F transcription factor. And these E2F molecules then will bind to DNA and then activate downstream uh, gene expressions. And some of these genes that are activated by E2F are these F-box protein called SCIB2 and its companion protein called CKS1. And it's usually in a complex of protein that we're gonna talk about in a little bit. So in cancer, um, loss of RB or inactivation of RB means that we see um, increased activation of these E2F transcription factor and that then leads to increased expression of skip two, and these are the works actually of an Einstein scientist uh, right here, namely Anju. Ju. And I was very fortunate to uh, meet him about five years ago and collaborate with him uh, before he passed away recently. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the UPS or the the Wickerton proteasome system. The system in the cell is actually designed to get rid of proteins that you don't need anymore. Um, uh, And the system is composed really of three different enzymes, both E1, E2, and E3. It's the E3 enzymes that specify the protein to degrade, so it it actually determines the specificity of the system, so therefore, if you can design a drug that targets a specific E3 enzyme, that will selectively block, you know, degradation of a certain protein, and then um, prevent the side effects of, you know, just indiscriminately uh, de- um, uh, degrading other proteins. So one of the drugs that use this kind of paradigm is called, is a drug called Valcate. that's currently used for myeloma, and which is very, very successful clinically. Um, And um, some of these things may be applicable to sarcoma. So let's talk about the complex. I know this is a little bit complicated, but I think that, you know, if you get the general concept, I think it's gonna, uh, you gotta be able to understand uh, it much better. Um, so the, we talked about the E3 pro, um, uh, protein uh, or enzyme. Uh, it's called an E3 ligase. It actually uh, exists as a protein complex. We have many different proteins. And in this this uh, complex, the most uh, well-known and the most studied is probably this uh, SCF-SKIP2 complex. And this complex is composed of a protein called uh, uh, SKP, uh, SKP1 or skip one uh, And then it binds to a, a scaffolding protein called colon1. And then that whole thing then binds to this F-box protein called skip 2 And it is that skip 2 protein that then degrades other protein. In this case, it's, it happens to degrade... These two proteins called P21 and P27. And these proteins are very, very important uh, in regulating the cell site. And if you, um, uh, so what happened is, uh, you know, the, the tumor suppressor RB can actually um, inhibit uh, the function of SCIP2, both uh, transcriptionally um, by turning the gene off. Op- and also by coming into the um, the complex itself, and then it displaced, physically displaced the skip 2 protein out of the complex. And so it sort of turns off the complex. Now, unfortunately, in cancer, what we see is that we see there's a lot of inactivation or loss of RB. So when you lose RB, what you see is skip 2 level is going to go up. Okay, and, and that makes sense. So so when we look at osteosarcoma, we, what we see is that, sure enough, the level of skip 2 is very, very high, okay, when we look at both the cell lines as well as in the human tissues and the patient tissues. So this suggests to us that skip 2 may be an important um, regulator of this oncogenic process at least in osteosarcoma, right? Uh, so what we did is we looked at a large um, data sets of osteosarcoma patients, cases, and one of these data sets according called, uh, called an R2 data sets, It's a data set from Europe. Uh, it's very popular for researchers to look at. Um, we see that high-level patients with high levels of skip 2 um, would do uh, more poorly. Uh, and so, the high levels of skip two predict a poor prognosis for these patients, both at the RNA level as well as a protein level. Um, so, since we know that now we know that osteosarcoma express high levels of skip two, we want to examine the effect of, like, what if we just inhibit or knock it down, see what happens. Uh, so, starting with a couple of osteosarcoma cell lines in the lab, what we use um, a, a, a a technique called uh, short pen or shRNA to knock down the skip two level. What we see is that the cells start to undergo more apoptosis, and then when we inject these cells into the mice, um, you, we see that the tumor. Uh, will still form, but the tumor volume will decrease significantly, um, and these animals can also develop lung metastasis. And sure enough, when we inhibit the SCIB2, we see that we have much less lung metastasis in these animals. Um, I mean, although this is encouraging, uh, one can argue with, that these cell lines are have been passage for a long time, and so the results may not reflect uh, a real, um, life scenario. So, uh, we need really good models to, to, to replicate human diseases, uh, better. So, to solve this, um, we, we have two main strategies. One is to implant patient, uh, tumor directly into, uh, skip mice or, or immunocompromised mice that will accept human tumors. And this is, the, the so-called uh, patient-derived xenografts. Uh, so these tumor will grow in the mice. And, um, you know, here at Montefiore, you know, I'm, I'm uh, fortunate that we have uh, three sarcoma surgeons in a group so we could collect tissues uh, more easily um, and, and very quickly. Um, so once we establish these uh, patient-derived xenografts or PDXs, Uh, They can mimic a lot of the features of the original tumor, which is nice. Um, And then not only that, it can vary from patient to patient, so it takes care of, uh, it it replicates the heterogeneity of the uh, tumor populations in each patient. Um, And also it's a good model to study uh, the new drugs, so so sort of preclinical testing of drugs. The second strategy is to create a so-called uh, transgenic um, animal. These are genetically engineered animals that um, will have certain defects in tumor suppressor genes, and this is often the best way to study the underlying molecular mechanisms and to study the molecular interactions between pathways. And also is a good way to study uh, familial uh, cancer syndromes. so some, of you know, that, you know, some patients may have P53 mutations already, uh, like, um, patients in the lethal Manny syndrome, uh, this is also a good way to study, uh, the, the underlying mechanism. So, um, since we know that, that, you know, knocking down of skip 2 or inhibit skip 2 seems to be beneficial, we're also interested in drugs that can inhibit this, this pathway. Uh, so it turns out that there are small molecules or drugs that can add in certain, uh, pockets or certain, uh, sites in the, in the pathway, uh, or in the, the protein complex. Uh, so for example, we, uh, we have this drug, uh, that's actually interesting. It's very interesting. It's actually from, uh, a, a root, um, in the, the South Pacific, um, that, um, the uh, local population and used as a T, and we actually isolate this compound called FKA or Flavokalwayne A, it acts on an enzyme that put a group of um, compound called NED8 onto that um, SCIP2 complex. And this is very important for the complex to work. And so if you uh, have a compound that can inhibit that enzyme, then all of a sudden the complex can't work anymore. So that that's one way of inhibiting that. Um, uh, we also have a drug that is currently on the market right now for um, uh, for clinical trials called pivondostat, which uh, incidentally also inhibit that particular enzyme. And so this is a brand new class of drug uh, that can do that. And then we have also drugs that are sort of in the preclinical stage, you know, still being designed. Um, uh, there's a compound called C1 that actually binds to the pocket between the skip 2 and this companion protein C- uh, CKS1, and that can inhibit the skip 2 protein from degrading E27. Um, so there's a lot of different uh, way that we can inhibit um, this complex. And so since both RB and P53 are often and activated, right? and also sarcoma, we want to see uh, the effects of some of these drugs um, in the setting of having both tumor suppressor gene knocked out. So here you, you can see that using this compound C1 or FKA or Pivonostat, um we treat uh, uh, these are uh, mouse embryo uh, cells that either have you know, genes that RB and 53. A P53 uh, deleted, or they have the wild-type uh, protein. And as you can see, um, you know, these inhibitors uh, are much more effective uh, in inhibiting cells that have the deletions. So this suggests to us right away that cancers with RB and P53 mutations are probably more vulnerable to these SCIP2 inhibitors. Rice, which is nice. Um, so, to test this, one of our collaborators actually here at Einstein created a uh, a double knockout model, you know, in which P53 and RB are both deleted. And uh, these models actually develop prostate cancer. And these animals actually develop prostate cancer very early on, in very high frequency, in a very, very Uh, aggressive prostate cancer. But as you can see here, um, what they found is that if you delete SCIP2 or you inhibit SCIP2, on top of that, these animals actually survive much, much longer. And in fact, they don't even develop prostate cancer. Um, So in the setting of RB and P53 mutations, you know, an additional... Uh, deletion of skip 2 all of a sudden, is what we call synthetic lethal, which means that the juvenile cells now actually undergo much, much more apoptosis, and they actually can't even survive. So, that is really nice data for us. Hey, Dustin so, Tom, Yes.
0: I have a question for you. Um, and at the very beginning, you kind of showed, you know, the, the frequency of E53 inactivation and RB inactivation and um, almost all uh, osteos. It sounds like it was like what ninety, ninety-five percent have the p fifty-three inactivation. Right. Does when you see Rb one inactivation, is there always p fifty-three inactivation as well, or do you see some cases where there's?
2: Yeah, so that that's uh, that's interesting because most of the cases will have p fifty-three inactivation already, mm-hmm. and if you have Rb inactivation on top of that, that will be sort of double wham, mm-hmm. right? So then, some people—I uh, mean, some patients also have multiple tumor suppressor genes in activation. So, in addition to p fifty-three, they may have Rb plus p ten, Rb plus ATRX. So, you know, there are combinations. So, this model is somewhat, um, you know, simplistic, if you will, because you know we we can in the future create models that are much more complicated with with multiple tumor suppressor genes in activation. But you know we have to start somewhere, right. so yeah. So this model, it's um, you know, it's somewhat similar to human osteosarcoma. In fact, you know, what I'm going to show you is that it actually replicates human osteosarcoma pretty well.
0: Because uh, in the in the models that you were looking at, you had both p53 and RB1 knocked out. Mm-hmm. And so, given that p53 is very common, right, and in, right. in like ninety percent plus, yeah. Did you I'm curious if you just looked at what happened with Skip 2 and just P53 inactivation, which
2: just to kind of yeah, so there yeah. are models in which you just have P53 inactivations, and um, and then uh, the 53 is inactivated in a different context, in a different pathway. You can also create osteosarcoma uh, in those models. Uh, we haven't tested those model in terms of skip two knockout yet, but I suspect that skip two will probably be high there as well, because skip two, in addition to being a downstream target of RB, um, it's also serve as many um, other functions in in cancer in general, um, and so RB is just one pathway. But there are um, multiple pathways that can control RB. So you're right. We haven't looked at just P53 alone, uh, but I suspect that it's going to be very high in, in that setting also. Yeah,. Yeah, so um, so you know, so when we look at the RB and P53 in prostate cancer, like to show you. You know that immediately leads us to the hypothesis that maybe rb and p53 cold deletions may make osteosarcoma also susceptible to these skip 2 inhibitors right so the test is sure enough we create a double knockout model in which rb and p53 are knocked out but in a setting of austerities so you remember I said, austeric is one of those key transcription factors during normal osteoblast differentiation, during normal bone differentiation. So we only delete RB and P53 bone when bone is being developed in the embryo. We use this technique. And so these animals tend to develop osteosarcoma very early on, about two to four months of age. Um, now. That's the equivalent of about an 18 to 20-year-old human Um, since mice develop, uh, uh, you know, they they live much shorter uh, lifespan. Um, So this model, as you can see here, it it replicates human osteosarcoma fairly well, both in terms of the histology as well as the uh, radiographic features and the lung metastasis. This is a uh, patient here, and you can see, you know, these mouse model uh, develop tumor uh, fairly readily, and, and it replicates uh, the human condition very, very well. So now that we've created the, the, the model, the next step is for us to, again, cross it into the skip 2 knockout, right? We want to see what the effect of knocking out skip 2 in this setting. And this will help us to answer uh, some of the um, question whether skip 2 inhibitors are beneficial or not. Uh, and also, it helps us to kind of um, answer some of the remaining questions regarding what are the downstream pathways uh, that are affected when you knock down skip 2 So, what we see here is the, the Tamplin-Meyer survival. This is in mice. Um, what we see is the addition of skip two knockout actually improves the survival of these animals by actually several months. And even though it doesn't seem like a lot, this is actually very significant because it is the equivalent of at least a few years in human, uh, uh, in patients. And this is due to the fact, like I just said, you know, the mice age much faster than human. human. But the question is, why is the survival better, and perhaps even more important, why doesn't skip 2 knockout completely cure these animals, right? So, perhaps there's some form of resistance um, when we introduce the skip 2 inhibitor. So, for that, we turn to um, a technique called RNA sequencing. So, some of you may know this already, uh, but I just want to go through it. Uh, just so that everybody is on the same page. Uh, so we know that RNA is the first step in, in gene expression, right? So you remember back in biology, um, you know, go from DNA to RNA to protein, right? So um, now we can study actually gene expression in in, in any particular issue uh, tissue by uh, sequencing all the RNA in the cells or in that tissue, right? And by sequencing the... Uh, RNA, we can also count the expression levels of every single gene, okay, and compare that uh, which genes are active, which genes are inactive uh, in a certain scenario. In this case, we want to know if we knock down skip two, what other genes are the genes that are turning on or off, right? So that will tell us what's going on inside the cells, Okay. So when we compare the original tumor, right, in these mice with RB and P53 mutations, and the tumor in which the mice have knocked out SCIP2. So what we see is actually very interesting. We see many genes that are upregulated, so these genes are in red on the right-hand side, and many genes are downregulated. So, you know, just in the interest of time, um, we just want to focus on one particular group of genes. And these are genes that have to do with macrophage functions. We see that they are significantly upregulated when we delete skip 2 okay? So this suggests to us a few things, but one thing that right off the bat it suggests to us that drugs that inhibit skip 2 is going to lead to somehow activation of macrophages, right? And so More macrophages is going to come into the tumor perhaps, and this is maybe the sort of prevailing mechanisms or the underlying mechanisms of why the tumors start to slow down, okay? So, now this is just a hypothesis, right? So, since um, more macrophages seem to be beneficial, uh, at least in the mouse model, uh, we see clearly that these animals survive much longer. Um, we want to see if this is applicable to human, okay? Is this the same phenomenon can be found uh, in human patients or not? So to do this, uh, we turn to our uh, bioinformatics colleague here. We have excellent group of bioinformaticians here at Einstein to help us to do this. So um, we want to correlate the mouse data with human, real-life human data, And for this, we turn to the NCI target. Some of you may know this database. It's um, publicly available. Uh, I think we have um, now, I think, probably like 200 or so patients. 83 of them, actually, when we uh, mine the data, uh, seems to have um, actually RNA sequencing data along with other data in... uh, uh, other data in in, in uh, the database so we use a program or an algorithm called CyberSort X and that allows us to correlate the RNA changes in the mouse tumor and convert that to human uh, genes um, and can compare directly mouse to human um, and we do see that um, more macrophage gene expression in human also means better protection. So if you can see here, if you dichotomize or if you divide the patient's group into high or low macrophage expressions, you see that clearly patients with the higher macrophage gene expressions also have a better prognosis. And so it's encouraging to us that we are on the right track, right? So. Inhibiting SCIP2 means higher macrophage expression. Higher macrophage expression means better survival. Okay. So, um, this is, I know this is uh, preliminary and this is um, uh, encouraging, uh, but we need more, right? We need to look further, you know, just like any other research project, um, you know, the more you look, the more complicated the picture become, right? So, in order for us to sort of take a deeper dive into the mechanisms, here we really, really want to hone down on the mechanisms because we want to understand why the tumor um, progressed, but also why tumor continue to grow even though they grow slowly, right? So, uh, in order to take a deeper dive here, we use a technique called single-cell RNA sequencing. And this help us to determine the gene expression profiles at a single cell level. Okay, so every single cell will have the RNA completely sequenced, and we know the gene expression of every single genes in that particular cell. Okay, so using the technique, the two things that we can do, one is we can use specific biomarkers that are known uh, to identify certain cell types, and by doing that, we can actually divide up the cells into different groups. So it turns out the tumor contains many different cells. Like I just told you in the beginning, it's a very complex tumor microenvironment. It doesn't just contain tumor cells. It contains many different types of cells. And we can use this technique to identify not only the tumor cells here, but also the fibroblasts, the MSCs, plasma cells, the osteoclasts, macrophage, endothelial cells, and so on and so forth, okay? So this is a very nice and very powerful technique for us to look really, really deeply at what these cells are doing in the tumor. And so these cells are invariably there to either try to kill the tumor or trying to help the tumor. So um, we're in the early phase of trying to, um, you know, analyze these data. Obviously, it's a massive amount of data. Uh, so it takes us time, um, and money to try to, to, uh, do this. Um, suffice to say, you know, I think at this point, what we can say is that, um, we can identify not only different types of cells, we can also start to identify groups of cells that are most likely cancer stem cells. So I don't know if you've heard of cancer stem cells but these are cells that can give rise to the tumor. And we can use certain bioinformatics algorithm to try to figure out, for example, using this technique called RNA velocity, um, we can tell like which cells are early, which are late in their development. And so the early cells are likely the stem cells and the late cells are actually the tumor cells that are fully developed. And so I think that in the future, I hope that this will allow us to target, the target maybe this early group of cells. And then uh, as you can imagine, if you can target cells that are very early on during their development, you can prevent all sorts of things, including relapses, right? So these stem cells can hide in your body after you're done with chemotherapy and, and whatnot. Um, and they can recur, let's say a few years later. Um, so that's, that's our hope. Um, so I think, um, you know, we have a lot to talk about, but I think that, you know, this is, um, um, you know, this is a good start. Um, you know, I hope maybe in the future I can come back and share with you more. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it, in summary, you know, we, we know that the skip two complex has many sites that you can develop drugs, right? These are druggable sites. Um, you see that, you know, Skip 2 drugs hopefully can increase these macrophage, and macrophage seems to be a good thing. And then, but there are many, many things that we still don't know, right? We still don't know what the relationships of these proteins interactions are in the complex, uh, in the skip 2 complex. That needs to be gone uh, into, um, and one of the ways that we are going to do that is to develop a new uh, a mouse model, animal models with specific mutations in each of these proteins and try to figure out their functions. Um, but you know, the ultimate goal is to, um, you know help patients survive longer, minimize uh, resistance, and perhaps. Uh, perhaps prevent uh, relapses in the future. Um, so um, uh, that's all I have. These are the people that uh, I have to thank. There are many, many people that uh, mm-hmm. help us to make this work possible. Um, Professor Liang Zhu is uh, is my idol, Unfortunately, he passed away in a few years ago, he gave us all the mouse model. He helped us to develop the osteosarcoma model and then all the other models, uh, and it's been tremendous. It's been a, a great ride, um, and um, thank you for, for allowing me to, to share this work with you.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Wong. It's so um, great to have you, on, and you did such a wonderful job explaining this. Um, you are definitely a professor.
2: Yes, at least that's what they call it <laughs> um,
0: no, that's great. I think, um, peep, everyone, feel free to add any questions to the q and a and walker. I think you had a question,
1: yeah, I can ask you a question. so yeah. you were talking about the the macrophages, and I'm pretty sure those are just white blood cells, right, or like that's a type of white blood cell. That's right, so could you technically just take from like from like a blood donation, could you take somebody's macrophages and like uh, condense them and then give that to somebody so that, that way they had more? Or is that like not a thing?
2: Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. You know, I'd actually never thought about that. You know, if that's possible, that would be wonderful, right? So if you can take macrophages, let's say from uh, a patient, right? And then somehow expand them and then reinfuse them into the patient so that now they have more, right? Um, I think that, you know, anything is possible. We just have to understand, first of all, the types of of macrophages. So it turns out that macrophages are not all the same. And so, you know, we're just beginning to learn that, yes, there are more macrophages in the tumor, but maybe there are certain types of macrophages are more beneficial because we know that actually some macrophages are actually helping the tumor so um so we want to pick the macrophages that are helping us fighting the tumor and try to get rid of the macrophages that are are sort of like the animates um so we don't know so much yet which one or which and so those um uh you know remember i talked about the single cell rna sequencing we're hoping that by looking at just the subgroup of macrophages, in, uh, that we can identify different, you know, subtypes, and by after we identify different subtypes, maybe we can uh, we can separate out the good guys from the bad guys, and then we take the good guys, we, you know, we, we kind of like grow them up, and then we can reinfuse them in, kind of like you know, grow up the, the battle soldiers and and put them back in so but we don't we're not there yet so i think it's going to take us a little bit more time and 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 efforts uh to try to figure that out that's a good suggestions i actually never thought about that so that's good (laughs) cool very cool
0: biology major university of kentucky (laughs) you up a good word (laughs) Thank you. Uh, so I'm going to kind of just back it up a little bit and I just want to, so, you know, for P53 and RV1, for example, cause they're inactivated and I, 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 know there's kind of efforts to kind of look at the pathway because it's much easier to, um, inhibit than to kind of try to turn something back on. Yes. Uh, but I'm just curious, like, is there any, is there any activity in that, in that area of being able to actually try to turn things back on again? or is
2: yeah i mean yeah. that's i think people have tried that for a long time and if that's the holy grail of cancer um, that that would be it uh i think it's very hard to turn them back on because there are there are so many ways to inactivate the gene that um cancer is actually very smart it, it just it has many different ways to inactivate a gene. And so if you try to turn it on by using one way, it will have a different switch to try to switch it off. And so it's it turns out it's very difficult to to turn it back on. And once these um, major tumor suppressors are off, um, it, it's a big problem. And so that's why we, we're trying to look somewhere else to see if, despite having these defects or these mutations, and you do something to induce that synthetic lethal uh, conditions by, you know, knocking out some additional requirement uh, genes that are required. Uh, somehow you sort of negate um, the, the the mutations. You know, somehow like cancel them out. Um, so it turns out that Liang Zhu hit ip- it right on the head with skip two. And he's the one that sort of, you know, lead us down this path. And so, you know, it's not quite as as dramatic as what you saw in prostate cancer. Um, I suspect because osteosarcoma is such a, a, um, you know, a messed up tumor, if you will. It's very, very unstable genetically. Uh, And so it can have many different ways to try to escape your whatever you're throwing at it. Um, so I think it's very important to understand, um you know um how the tumor um resists uh, the, the it it's even more important to understand the resistant mechanism than than how to
0: inhibit, yeah, right. because because um, they'll eventually potentially just figure out. Kind of
2: right, vibe. eventually we'll figure out how to escape it. Yeah, so if you can even flood that route, then yeah. uh, you know, you sort of uh, make it very difficult to, to escape, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, uh, Walker, do you want to take that question that just came in?
1: Yeah, there's a question in the the chat that says, "Do you think that AI can accelerate osteo research?" Having in mind, so many researchers <laughs> working yeah. on this, and AI could combine all the data.
2: I'm glad somebody asked that. Somebody just asked me, um, just last week, and uh, you know, uh, maybe I should ask uh, ChatGPT. Uh, <laughs> So I always tempted to, to, to ask ChatGPT for my next question. So for my next question, you know, um, yes, the answer is absolutely because um, I think that you know there are patterns here, right? So AI is one thing that AI is very good at is is synthesizing information and looking for patterns, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, until we, we can figure out what are the patterns of gene expressions or mutations that will behave a certain way. You know, let's say you say, okay, if you have RV and P53 mutations, then you throw in skip two inhibitors. You have P10 and RB, you throw in this other thing. So, you know, AI can help you, I think eventually to recognize these patterns and even suggest to you that, hey, if you have this pattern, this type of drug will more likely than not um, to work uh, better than if you don't. So I think that's sort of the power of AI. Uh, Now, beyond that, can AI figure out, you know, like how genes interact with each other or things like that? You know, AI is only as smart as what you put into it. You're also, as long as you have a good teacher, AI will be a good student. But, you know, it, it requires that we have more information to feed to, to, to AI. So, um, but yes.
0: Um, I'm so interested in if, if, if your future work will be kind of looking at these other different um, uh, combinations of mutations. So you know, like you mentioned, ATRX, for example. Yes, yes. It's so it'll be so interesting to see, you know, what the behavior is and in, in the pathway, depending on kind of what the
2: driver does. So it turns out that um, you know, the more tumor suppressors um, are mutated, the more uh, aggressive, right, the tumor becomes, and it becomes harder and harder and harder to block these tumors. Um, we are in the process of trying to replicate some of these, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. It, um, and here, you know, I have to stress that, you know, um, uh, we started this project about four or five years ago and, um, Liang Zhu started, uh, his, um, you know, figure out all these pathways and all of these mutations, uh you know, it took him a good twenty years. Um and I came into the game, you know, relatively late and was able to catch up because of, you know, this is the typical you stand on the shoulders of giants and you kind of see further, right? And you can, you know, your 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 research go faster and, and you you're much more uh fast out, right? Um so I think that in the future if we can get all of these uh, models to work um and create them and then test them one by one, um, we'll get to the point where we can get very, very close to to replicating the the osteosarcoma in individual patients. Um and that's that's the hope. But um I think that, you know, to answer your question um about AI, I think that um, you know, AI can help us to get there faster also. And then technologies like CRISPR, for example, um, you've heard of CRISPR, right? Um, uh, the gene uh, editing uh, technique. It already helps us to accelerate, um, uh, you know, in terms of creating these animals. It, it helps us tremendously, um, make us a lot faster. Uh, than we were before. I mean, leaps and bounds.
0: Yeah, because uh, you can do these knockout models, right
2: No. Right, and you can do these knockout models now in, in a matter of months instead of years like before.
0: Or even the single cell RNA sequencing, like that wasn't around ten years ago, was it? Like you were no. not
2: no. oh I mean, uh, you know, we didn't even know we didn't even know um, RNA sequencing was uh, possible. And then, uh, you know, just to give you an idea, you know, when I was. Uh, your age, uh, Walker. You know, I I actually worked in the lab, and I actually sequenced DNA, and it took me six months to sequence uh, a a piece of DNA that will um, take the machine now about fifteen minutes. So um, we we we've gone so far, right? And so you know, when you become my age, we'll we'll see other things that are. Much
0: more. I, I was going to say, he the early went school in the snow.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs> That's right. All
0: those, yeah. Uh. Um, so, you know, uh, and for, for people listening, there was actually an osteobite. Dr. Juan and I were talking about this back in March, at the end of March, March 30th, I think, if you mm-hmm. want to look it up on our channel. And mm-hmm. it was Dr. Claudia Benevente from UC Irvine also talking about the same pathway. of yes. Identifying a different protein. It was UHRF1. Um, as potential target. And so I wanted to ask, I mean, this is just, you know, like, uh, you know, osteo being so complex and kind of Mm -hmm. being driven by different mutations. I mean, there are a couple of ways, obviously you want to kind of attack it in as many different ways as possible. But I wanted to kind of ask about, you know, the possibility of, and I guess, you know, in in humans without major toxicities, but being able to um, inhibit multiple targets on a specific pathway
2: yeah
0: and and or you know once once you kind of have a better idea of kind of what these different um mm. uh, uh, combinations of of mutations and, and and activations are kind of targeting multiple pathways so again you're yeah you're kind of like trying to block off any exits right for the sure. stem cells um yeah
2: no I mean I think that the the key here is to look at not only blocking different pathways, but also what are the, the, the side effects, right? What are the toxicity of, of, of um, inhibiting these pathways? Um, and um, so for, for, for that, actually having these mouse model are very useful because it sort of predicts how your body is going to respond. So for example, if you want to inhibit you HFR, you want to inhibit skip 2, uh, so some other pathways, um, by creating these animals, it kind of forecasts what is going to happen if you inhibit that a human. And so if these animals become very sick when you when you knock out these genes, that will tell you this pathway is probably um very essential and if you knock them out uh humans you know patients can be very very sick um so uh we were actually very fortunate and i'm not sure if this is sort of uh by chance or not but knocking out skip two actually is not very toxic to the animal um and that's how we uh were able to to create all these models and and um you know it it's either you know, in any of these things, you know, it's it's a combination of luck, right, and and uh, and perseverance. So, <laughs> there you go. It's uh, you know, it's not always just just uh, worth. Yeah, of, of course, working hard is is key, but you know, having a little luck is it's not bad either.
0: Um, well, you mentioned that there were three compounds, right? It was the um, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly. The yeah,
2: the Vonderstaff, yeah, yeah, which the- is on the market.
0: yeah so one of them is on the market you said
2: yes yeah so one of them is on the market i think it's being um uh trial um i can't remember whether they have trial they have clinical trials in solid uh, tumors or not um a lot of these are being trial in lymphoma and leukemia and the blood cancers Uh, they seem to work very very well like i said I, i think i mentioned valcade for myeloma uh, that's sort of the go-to drug now for myeloma, um, and uh, that's th- that's sort of the first generation of these uh, proteasome inhibitors. Um, and I'm 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 certain that uh, you know the the drug uh, industries are like hopped on their trails of all these things, and they're going to be many many of them coming out in the next uh, next several years. Um, and that will inhibit like certain um, you know areas of the pathways and certain protein, I mean certain enzymes uh, you know to to try to prevent the tumor cells from uh, from blocking the cell cycle uh, regulation. And so it, this is a, a key area of research, not not just Sha Collar, but obviously it many different answers, yeah
0: great. Um, The other thing I just want to note, I don't know if this is so much a question, just a comment, is just this kind of um, intersection, because when you were doing the single cell uh, RNA sequencing and kind of seeing the different types of cells and noticing the um, increased level of macrophages, the good macrophages, um, this kind of intersection between gene expression and immune response, and it kind of immune... Yeah.
2: Because, I don't
0: know, again, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, normally you kind of hear about them as kind of discrete things. And so kind of seeing this intersection and overlay of gene expression um, and, and being able to kind of determine um, immune signatures based on gene expression is really interesting.
2: Yeah. Also, you know, we didn't want, you know, when we first started in this um, field, uh, we didn't think that, you know, this is going to affect um, the immune system. You know, that was a complete surprise for me. Um, And we thought that for sure, um, you know, it's probably going to cause the tumor cells to to undergo apoptosis and, you know, because you block the cell cycle and da, da, da. And lo and behold, you know, it it has something completely, um, a, a completely different effect. Um, in that it influences, uh, the immune system, the, the white blood cells. The um, I didn't show you the data on T cells, but, uh, it also increased the number of T cells. Um, it, it, it increased the number of macrophage genes. Um, it has very, you know, profound effects on the immune system, um, which is a, a total surprise. Um, but, uh. But then you're at house, that's how research is, right? I mean it's like you know you never know. It's like uh what is that movie? The the uh uh when uh he said the, uh, said, the it said it was like a box of chocolate, you never know what you're gonna get, right? right. <laughs> so, so.
0: Yeah, and it and it's also like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. You know, like it
2: That's right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Um
0: well thank you so much. This was um Super, uh, interesting. And I do encourage, um, everyone to catch that episode with, uh, Dr. Benevente, because I think both your talks actually really complement each other nicely in discussing the, um, RB pathway. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much, Dr. Wong for joining us on Osteobites today awesome. and making it better for both sarcoma patients everywhere. More information on this and all Osteobites can be found on our YouTube channel, also on our website at mibagents.org. And you can also catch it at your favorite podcast place. And next week on May 4th, we're going to be talking to Dr. Janet Yoon from City of Hope. Uh, Dr. Yoon is a clinical professor and medical director of the pediatric musculoskeletal tumor program in the department of pediatrics at City of Hope. And she's going to be joining us to discuss, um, a GD2 SATA, S-A-D-A 177-LU-DOTA complex in patients with solid tumors known to express GD2. Um, so, please join us for that. Um, and you can find our osteobytes lineup for the next few months on our website. And if you ever have ideas for future topics that you'd like to hear about on osteobytes, please send us a note at events at Thanks again, Dr. Wong um, and Walker. Thank you. For the hour with us today. Really appreciate it. And we hope to see everyone back here next week when we talk to Dr. Janet Yu. Thanks, everybody.